Well, good to be worshiping with you digitally. I must confess, since none of you are here, this is quite complicated, trying to figure out how to negotiate the video switching and the slides and the different camera angles and the correct sound at the correct volume. So, yeah, I'm just very aware of that. Uh, as we've been running around behind the scenes, you can't see any of this happening, but we're trying to uh, provide a good video service. And uh, so thank you, Jamie. Thank you, Mary. Thank you to myself. Uh, we're trying to provide the best digital experience uh, that we can. And uh, we look forward to worshiping together on July 12th outside. Uh, it is good for me to be back. I haven't preached for a few weeks. It's been a rough few weeks. Physically, I've been better for a while. But emotionally and spiritually, I have been giving myself lots of space and moving slowly, trying to integrate what happened to me, the issues that I experienced with my heart. And during that time, during those few weeks, uh, a lot has been going on in our world, as we are all aware. The pandemic continues, and I just have this continued sense of the toll that it is taking on many of us, the social distancing, the isolation. I feel it. I've heard from many of you that you feel it. Uh, I personally am pretty tired of wearing a mask when I go out to the store. Uh, do it because I want to be considerate to other people, but my glasses fog up. I don't feel like I can breathe as comfortably with a mask on. Um, but again, I don't want to put others at, at risk. And so this is uh, a frustration thing, but really it's just the isolation of the pandemic. And so I find myself um, really just looking forward for the end of this season of pandemic when, when things can change, when a vaccine can be developed or treatments can be developed so that people are no longer dying from this illness. In addition to the pandemic, there's also the murder of George Floyd. And as I was trying to spend time integrating and paying attention to some of the stuff that was happening with my heart and my life, I was also uh, taking that time and that space to process uh, what happened when he was killed. And I have felt a tremendous amount of sadness as I've sat with his death. Mary and I have spent a, a lot of time talking about this and processing this, and this is such a clear incident of racism, and it reminds me and reminds many of us that it is dangerous to grow up black in this country. And the particular thing that I keep coming back to and the particular place that I keep feeling sadness around, and, and Mary mentioned this when she preached on it, is, is when I think about our friends who have black sons, and we think about what it's like for them to grow up and some of the dangers that they face, and it just grieves me so deeply. I feel such tremendous sadness. And in my prayers, the prayer that I've been praying is just, how long, O oh Lord, when will this change? When will it be safe for a young black man to go running and not worry that somebody's going to jump out of the car and be, do some violent act towards him? So when it comes to the pandemic, I'm longing for things to get better. When it comes to racism, I'm, I'm longing for there to be progress and change, spiritual healings from the mounds of past hurt, and real reconciliation so we can move into a better future. But in addition to the pandemic, and in addition to this very clear and 
an evident, acute reminder of racism in our system. I've also talked to others of you who are facing real hardship financially. Some of you have had to lay off people that have worked for you for many years, more than 10 years. Some of you have lost your jobs yourselves. Others of you have been faced with uh, taking a paycheck or not being able to get the hours you want. Some of you, I know uh, your income because you're either approaching retirement or in retirement is tied to how the markets are doing and the markets have been all over the place. And this has created a sense of fear and uncertainty about the future. And in the midst of, of the pandemic and in the midst of this awareness of racism, I also am very much aware of, or just there's this part of me that is just longing for financial security for those around us. And longing that everybody who wants to have a job, wants to be able to put food on the table, is able to do that. And as I think about these things, all the things that I'm so aware are wrong with the world, the way I am longing for change, I'm also aware of how I'm my, in my prayer life, I'm asking God to do something. I'm asking God to show up, to, to work in our world for progress, change, and transformation, whether it's help scientists or to intervene in the racial wounds and healing that needs to happen or to take care of those of you who are struggling financially. There is this longing in me, for, in my prayer life, for you, for God to do something to work in your lives and to work in this world for change. And so the question that I have been sitting with this morning uh, as we uh, worship together is what, what, how does God respond to these prayers? When we ask for God to do something, to save us, to heal us, to rescue us, what is it that God does? What work does God do? How does God work to accomplish progress, change, and transformation in our world? When we suffer hardship, when it feels like everything's falling apart in our personal lives or in the broader world around us, we want to cry out to God. Say, God, what are you going to do about this? And this isn't you and I, we aren't the first people to uh, have this relationship with God and then face hardship or see a world that is suffering and then ask God to intervene, to rescue, and to do something. This is an ongoing question that God's people seem to, to face on a regular basis throughout history. Regularly, God's people are facing hardship and then asking God to do something. In fact, this is exactly what God's people were wondering in the years leading up to to God actually showing up in the flesh in the person of Jesus. The Hebrews, ancient Israelites, had been uh, living in the promised land, but had been occupied by one ruling power after another. When Jesus showed up, it happened to be the Romans, but before the Romans, it was the Greeks. Before the Greeks, there were other countries who had come in and take possession of lands and were ruling over the Israelites. And as an oppressed people... The Israelites were begging God to do something. Come, act, change, heal, redeem, save us. Listen to some of the atrocities that they faced in the years leading up 
to Jesus' birth. In 168 BC, he, this is Antiochus, sent his general Apollonius with an army of 22,000 to collect taxes, outlaw Judaism, and enforce paganism as a means of consolidating his empire and replenishing his treasury. The soldiers plundered Jerusalem, tore down its houses and walls, and burned the city. Jewish men were killed, women and children enslaved. It became a capital offense to practice circumcision, observe the Sabbath, celebrate Jewish festivals, or possess scrolls of Old Testament books. Many such scrolls were destroyed. Pagan sacrifices became compulsory, as did processional marching, marching in honor of Dionysus, the Greek god of wine. An altar to the Syrian high god identified as Zeus was erected in the temple. Animals abominable, according to the Mosaic law, were sacrificed on the altar, and prostitution was practiced right in the temple precincts. When Jesus shows up, he is the answer to the Hebrew people's cries for rescue. They longed for God to do something. And so when Jesus shows up and, and he starts living the life that he lived, teaching what he taught, he is speaking to a people who have been longing for God to act. And Jesus is the embodied answer, the embodied response. He is showing up as God's Savior. And Jesus himself was aware of this. He proclaimed when he uh, began his ministry, that now is a time of God's favor. God's salvation has begun. But if you were journeying with Jesus and you had these sorts of expectations that he, in fact, is the Messiah and he is going to save us, there's probably a lot of excitement building right up to the point when he's arrested. And then the cross happens. The Roman oppressors, the ones whom Jesus is supposed to defeat and free the Israelites from, kill him. He's the Savior, but he ends up crucified by those he is meant to defeat. At first, you can imagine that this feels like tremendous loss and defeat for his followers. They, they thought Jesus had failed in this rescue attempt, and they're terribly discouraged, as is evident in the Gospels. They thought he lost and was defeated. But with Christ's resurrection, they come to see something different. They had been longing for God to come and change the world. And when Jesus is raised from the dead, they come to see that Christ, that Jesus had in fact won. He had not won because he had procured all the power. He had won because he lived a life of radical love that changed the lives of those around him. And then, like leaven spreading through dough, or a weed overtaking a garden, images Jesus used, the kingdom of love starts to spread. And it does start to change the world. And they began to see the subversive way that this life of humble love has the power and the potential to transform our world, no matter what's going on around us. This is how God worked 
for the ancient Israelites. And this is how God works today, in our world today. In the midst of the chaos that you and I feel, God is doing the same thing through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in mine. The same thing He did through the person of Jesus thousands of years ago, He is doing in me and in you through the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is trying to put into words in our passage for today. He's trying to talk about how when we are dealing with a world full of chaos, when we are personally facing hardship and oppression, when we see a world that is unjust and unfair, when sickness or financial devastation is ravaging us, even in these moments, God is at work saving us. <coughs> Paul is not speaking about this from, you know, while he's on vacation or some rosy mountaintop experience. He is in chains when he writes this letter, on his way to stand trial before Rome like Jesus did. And his end will be the same as Christ's. He will be killed by Rome. And yet, in our passage, he makes the audacious claim that in the midst of these hardships and in the midst of this suffering, because of God's work in our lives, we are more than conquerors. He says we're like sheep to be slaughtered. Our, our situation, our external circumstances are so dire. But even then, we are more than conquerors. In verse 37, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, present nor future nor powers, any powers, height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As Paul is journeying in chains by the Romans and he's journeying to his own death, he is convinced that because of what Christ has done for us, he is experiencing the love of God in such a profound way that it transforms everything in his life. So that even though things are happening around him that are very bad, because he is experiencing the love of God, he feels like he's conquering over all of those things. So he's making this claim that our fundamental core need is to experience the love of God. And if we can experience the love of God, then even when we are as sheep to be slaughtered, we can be more than conquerors. It reminds me of something we prayed in Compline this past Wednesday. Our Lexio reading was Psalm 63, and we read, Your love, O Lord, is better than life. That's what Paul is talking about. The experience of God's love is better than life. So if you have that, you can face all things. And this experience of the love of God, this is the work that God is doing in our world right now. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life and in your life right now. Today is Father's Day. It's the, the day we honor and give thanks for all the dads in our lives. 
And the role of a father is to love and serve his children, to help them grow up and become the people that they are meant to be, their true selves. And a good father is both strong and vulnerable, loving and tough, compassionate and able to wield authority that's required to discipline children. Now, those of us who are dads, we do our best to live in this calling, but it's a difficult calling. And what Paul is saying in, our, in this chapter, just actually a few verses before our passage, is that the way that we become more than conquerors, the thing that the Holy Spirit is doing in your life, in my life, is, is something in our inner life where we are experiencing the love of God, not as something distant, but as though God is like a perfect loving, gentle, kind, compassionate Father to us. He says this, just a few verses before the the passage that Mary read, we read this, this is the work that the Spirit is doing in you and in me. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. For Paul... The gift that Jesus has given to us is the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit does, the work that God does in us, is cry out, Abba, Father. And Abba is this intimate, loving way of referring and relating to a dad. It's this expression of deep intimacy. So the Spirit comes in us, unites with our spirit, and then cries out, Abba, Father. So the work of the Spirit is to help us experience and know that we are beloved, that we are God's children, and that God is our Father, our Abba Father in heaven, who loves us deeply, who cares for us passionately, who is unconditionally committed to our good and is worthy of our trust. This is what the Spirit is doing in me. This is what the Spirit is doing in you, is crying out, You are God's child. You are deeply loved. And surprisingly, this is deeply meaningful. It seems weak, like this is the way that God sets about changing the world. But if you and I can experience this, the Holy Spirit in me, Holy Spirit in you, crying out, I am God's beloved. Then we can endure a pandemic. We can find the strength to fight for justice. We can wade through financial hardship. We can find hope in all our failures and struggles and difficulties. If we know the love of God, we can face hardship, even like sheep being led to the slaughter. That is the work of God in my life and in yours. 
And if we can experience it and know it, it changes us so that we can then lead lives of radical love the way Jesus did. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, I've had some heart issues. Uh, A few weeks ago, my heart went into AFib, and it's this condition where your heart beats irregularly, and so for me, when it first started, I was like, what's happening? It feels like my heart's beating on my chest, and I lay down to try and calm it down, and I was looking at my Apple Watch and watching my heart rate, and it would go from like 50 beats per minute up to 155 beats per minute, and then back down, you know, in a matter of seconds, it was fluctuating like this. And doctors have told me that it's not a major condition. <coughs> if you had to choose one condition to go see a cardiologist over, my cardiologist said, this is the one to choose. But nonetheless, when I experienced it, it was unsettling. And it's unsettling for a number of reasons. One, it just feels uncomfortable. But also, it, when you're in AFib, it can significantly increase your risk of stroke. If you're in it for a long time, it has a potential to wear your heart out. And so for these reasons, they tend to take seriously. So it's like maybe not a big deal, but it's also kind of a big deal that you've got to deal with. So they take it seriously, and they want to get you back into a normal rhythm. And so I went to the urgent care first, and they gave me some medicine. And I went home, and then over the night, it wasn't fluctuating as much, but it was still very irregular and uncomfortable. I was still lightheaded. So the next morning, I was still in AFib. They told me to go to the ER, so I go to the ER. And what they do is they sedate you and then do the paddles on you and electric shock you and it kind of stops your heart and restarts it. And when it restarts, it restarts in rhythm most of the time. And because of COVID, as I was going through this experience, my wife, Mary, was not allowed to come into the emergency emergency room with me. And so I was in the emergency room and at one point, I think there was close to 10 doctors and nurses surrounding me. I was hooked up to wires all over me. They're getting ready to put me under and I had to sign all these things. And, and I know like logically it's low risk that I would have a stroke when I wake up, though they said that sometimes happens because there's a clot that's in your heart and the paddle shocks you and the, the clot goes and circulates your system. And it's low risk that I'll have an adverse reflect, uh, reaction to the sedation. Low risk that anything would go bad when there's shock in my heart. But nonetheless, it still felt like a big deal. And there was this awareness that, well, something could go wrong. I mean, they did make me sign something. And so I felt, you know, it's probably a good idea to pray. Nothing's probably going <coughs> to go wrong. Something could go wrong. What if I have a stroke? What, what if I die? That's probably not going to happen, but I should probably at least pray about it. And so as I sat for six hours or so, mostly alone, waiting for this moment where I was going to be converted, I was praying. And at, and at first there was this impulse in me like, well, I should pray something, make sure I pray a good prayer, get, get God to help me confess any sins I haven't confessed, make sure I'm at the right place with God. But in the end, as I sat there, what I noticed the Spirit doing within me is, is, is there's this prayer that was welling up within me. And the prayer that I prayed, the only prayer that I had to pray was, the Lord is my shepherd. And for me, that was the equivalent of what Paul talks about when he says, Abba, Father. There was this sense that God is my shepherd, that my life is not my responsibility. It's God's responsibility. He's the shepherd. I'm the sheep. 
He's taking care of me. And so all the worries and the anxieties that I had, I felt like I could just let go of because the shepherd cares for me. And sometimes when I start to think about, oh, I could die or I might die, the first thought I always have is what's going to happen to my wife? What's going to happen to my kids? But even that, same prayer was, just like the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is their shepherd. Just like he cares for me, he cares for them. This was what the Spirit was doing in me. This was the Holy Spirit at work within me. And so there was this sense of freedom and release and surrender and peace. And I was fine. Because of this sense that God was near, that I was His child, and that He cared for me, I could face dying. I was okay with that. Real or likely or not, it felt like a possibility, and I felt like I looked at it, and it was okay. So as we consider what is God doing in our world as we all face all kinds of crazy chaos around us and in our personal lives, I like to suggest that what the Holy Spirit is doing in you is the same thing that He was doing in me as I sat in the emergency room. The Spirit is crying out inside you, Abba, Father. This is the core of what the Spirit is doing. <clears throat> Making us aware of the love of God. So that God's love for us feels so certain and secure and unshakable that we can face whatever hardship is in front of us. And then, as we are rooted and established in this love, you and I are empowered to go out and change the world. To love those around us. To endure criticism, hardship, fight for justice, endure financial difficulties. Knowing that we are God's beloved is what we need to face the hardship of this world and experience and participate in its transformation. So, on this Father's Day, what are you doing to know the Father's love for you? What do you do so that you can connect and experience the Spirit within you crying out, Abba, Father? So that you have the inner life resources to face whatever is difficult in your life, whatever hardship is difficult in your life. This is the work that Jesus came to do, to testify that we are accepted and loved and welcomed into God's family as children. And this is the work that the Spirit is doing in your life and my life now. In a world full of hardships, we need to experience the love of God. Would you consider today how you can hear the Spirit's voice crying out, Abba, Father, from within you? And in this week, what practices can you engage in so that you can hear this on a regular basis, face the hardships in your life? Let's pray. God, we give thanks. You have not left us alone, but you are here and you dwell within. 
Help us to hear your voice. Help us to hear the cry of the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.